Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Essential 11. As always, brought to you by Acton Academy, Acton Academy Placer, Apogee Strong, and our friends over at discoverpraxis.com. Check out Discover Praxis uh, for post high school. If you're in that K through 12 realm, then uh, you're going to want to check out Acton Academies, of course. Uh, check out the young men of Apogee Strong and what we're doing over there. And this is another Apogee Strong call uh, with my friend Derek Woodski. Uh, and Derek is just a, a mountain of a man, is a phenomenal athlete, uh, coach, uh, uh, now getting into law enforcement. Um, the man has a rad story. And just listen to some of the subtle cues, some of the things that he drops about, things that have happened in his life and missiles shooting at him and losing the loss of certain limbs, um, you know, as well as being, you know, somebody who's top of the world at his sport. Um, and just so casually, uh, just because of the humility that he has. And uh, it was just such an honor and pleasure to have him with the uh, gentleman of Apogee Strong. So give it up for Mr. Derek Woodski. Man, thank you for joining us. Huge honor. For sure. It's my pleasure. It's awesome, just man. Just finished uh, moving about 12 inches of snow. So this is a, a good reprieve from winter. Did you? Yeah. So you're out. Are you at uh, Montana? Yeah, we're up in Kalispell, so northern Montana. Okay. We're finally getting some proper winter. That's awesome, man. Good for you. And did you just move there recently? Yeah, I moved back in July. Okay. So we were out in uh, Mammoth Lakes prior. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, no, yeah neither so are bad snow spots, snow. man. Yeah, neither no. are bad spots to be. Well, it's an honor to have you. So I just want to make sure you've got uh, you've got context as far as you know what we're doing. And, and uh, that way, if you got any questions, but then we'll just kind of rock and roll about you, man. So, um, you know, I've got schools that I uh, own and operate out here in Northern California, and, and they are... You know, we say schools because that's what people uh, understand. They're really workplaces for young people. You know, we've got young yeah. people that are they're all starting businesses, and that's if they're five, 18, everywhere in between. They're starting and perpetuating their business. We've got high school kids making, you know, 40, 50, 60, 80 grand while they're in high school as part of their schoolwork, you know? And so amazing. It's awesome, man. And so it's it's a vastly different world as far as that goes. We also don't shut down and, and um, you know, all, all of that silly stuff. Um, and then Tim Kennedy and I uh, put together, you know, this particular program for young men all over the world. Um, so we've got uh, about 100 young men at this point uh, all around the world that uh, have projects and challenges and workouts um, that they're taking on. They're committing to themselves for a year long program, uh, pouring in and, and just becoming the leaders that we need out of our young men. Uh, and then we get to connect every Friday with good men like yourself. And uh, these guys will end up having, you know, more questions uh, than I will and better questions. And um, so we just get to have good conversation and pour into these guys, the guys that can't make the calls live. You know, we record these, I'll send it out to them. And then we'll also release it as an episode of the Essential 11 as well. So all good stuff, man. Perfect. Yeah. So um, we'd love to, to start with kind of our X-Men origin stories, uh, if you sure. will. So just kind of a little bit about, about you and, and kind of growing up as a young man and then and talk about some of the cool stuff you've gotten to, uh, you've gotten to experience and gotten to do a little bit. Well, like any good, you know, Marvel origin story. So I grew up in the same area as Wolverine, right? So right off the bat, I'm already winning, Boom. you know? Already a um, plus one. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern British Columbia, not far from where I am actually now in Northern Montana. I uh, grew up in the heart of the Rockies uh, in a really small town. So, you know, we talk a lot about uh, 
you know, opportunity, regardless of what the avenue was. Now, for my generation, obviously, in my 40s, that was pre-internet era. Um, but we talk about, you know, limitations of opportunity. One of the big ones is geographical location. Um, so that was always an interesting tidbit to the story is I grew up in about, and probably one of the least athletically potentiated areas of British Columbia. There was no, there was no programs there. There was no school sports that were particularly developed. Um, we had no coaching, yeah. you know, so I grew up in this area that was really isolated, little logging town, you know, a lot of, lot of wilderness, one paved road, the whole nine, you know, and not that long ago, you know, so I, you know, I graduated high school in 95. Um, but coming from that area, I was able to, for some reason, be drawn into sport through mostly magazines back then. And that got me into the world of human performance to some degree, uh, you know, looking at, well, let's be honest, you know, and, I, and I've told this story in the past, you know, one of the big influencers for me picking up, say, a barbell for human performance was comic books. Yeah. Not so different than a lot of kids, but that was the first image of, of strength to me outside of my father and the, and the loggers and miners that I, I knew, you know, so very blue collar, very rough and tumble, not a lot of law. We didn't have police. We didn't have anything where I live. So, so things were really up to the, the community to, you know, maintain order. But with that came a mindset that you were self-sufficient and that at the end of the day, it was going to be really up to you or your family to have the most opportunity for success. You know, your neighbors will help you when it got to minus 40, but for the most part, they were dealing with their own issues, you know, so they, they had to focus on themselves, but I kept, for some reason, pursuing athletics and sport, even in that small town, I played all the sports I could, even though they weren't very developed. Um, I started doing track and field in the ninth grade, you know, so by my sophomore year, I was doing pretty well for where we were, uh, not particularly well for the American system at the time, but I kept doing it and I got better and better provincially, uh, eventually competed at the equivalent to the state meet, but I didn't have a good enough mark to get a scholarship. Um, you know, but I was, I was good for where we were at. I wasn't blue chip good at that time, you know, and it was a developmental thing. Yeah. It wasn't a potential thing. So I took a year off of high school, uh, and I moved out of the town I'd been living in. And I went and trained in a club system, you know, so a lot more like you would see in the U.S. where high developed coaches right. were getting paid to coach kids. And it was like from, you know, in this town, it was like probably 12 to 25. So we had some national team members and we had some developmental. I was somewhere in the middle. That year got me on track and it got me... Uh, to a point of development where I could get into the U S system. And I met the right connections that year and jumped on them. Um, and so I went down to the U S to a school, in Northern Idaho at the Juco level. So junior college, two year level. Um, and that's how I got into the athletic system in the U S. Um, and I had a lot of success there, you know, uh, I broke some school records and I won some national championships right off the bat. Um, and that opened up a, a huge amount of scholarship opportunity. Uh, so from that point, after having my national titles at a JUCO level and finally getting the coaching to get that development, that took me to the division one level where I was now at the university of Wyoming, 
you know, I had four Olympic athletes as my training partners. We had that entire environment and culture that developed at the University of Wyoming. And we were from all over. Um, Wyoming wasn't a hotbed at the time. Sure. So what happened was a coach from South Carolina took the head job out there and brought all of us that were going to go to University of South Carolina out to Wyoming. Out to Wyoming. Right. Got so, it. yeah. So, so we were all man. probably going to be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and then, and that opened up a whole huge amount of opportunity from there, you know, with Team Canada from that point, national championships from that point. Uh, getting invited to work in different fields, working in the NFL from there. Like, so all of those opportunities kind of spawn from saying yes to some very high risk. Uh, you know, for most, it wouldn't seem like it, but for me, from where I'm from saying hi, saying yes to some very high risk opportunities that I had no guidance to understand, sure. but just going for it anyway, yep. because the opportunity Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. It's right. still probably a better opportunity than what was waiting for me at home at the time. Right. Um, in terms of career, uh, not that the jobs at home are bad necessarily. They're just very predictable. Yeah. Um, just a limited you know, scope. So, yeah, limited scope. Uh, you know, I would have, you still would have had a nice house, a car and sure. a family, but um, the world probably would have never got to meet you, yeah, you know? Right. And, and that's a big part of it. And so for me, I was really eager to see the world and, you know, now I've traveled, you know, dozens of countries lectured in, you know, I think 12 different languages, you know, so all those things kind of came as a byproduct of saying yes yeah. to, you know, some pretty high risk opportunities in terms of the fear factor. But now looking back on it, it was, it was always the right choice and it was always putting me on the path to deal with or connect to the right people. Yeah. And it's funny how that is. Like if you're willing to say yes to some very nerve wracking opportunity right. and you say yes more than you say right. no, there is a weirdness to the universe in how it will somehow put people in your life that will guide you through that fear. That's right. You know, for lack of a better word. That's right. Cause it's always scary. Yep. Right. Like that's right. When man. I took the job to work in the middle East, it was scary. Yeah. Like when I started going to Saudi Arabia six months a year by myself Yeah. in the beginning, it was frightful. Yeah. And I was in my thirties. Right. Right. But, but you pulled the trigger. Ended up being one. Totally. Yep. man. We talk about um, with these guys all the time, you know, fire, we, we say it's fire, aim, ready. It's not ready, aim, fire, fire, aim, ready. Meaning say yes go for it. And, yeah. then, and then the aiming part will come once you've got a little bit of background info because you've, you've pulled the trigger, right? That's when for the sure. aim will come. And that aim is getting those mentors, getting the right community around you, starting yeah. to go, okay, that was a mistake. And now I at least know that. So now I can move forward in this direction versus this direction. But none of that happens if you don't pull the trigger first, you know, and, and, 100%. and that's the riskiest, I think that's, you know, ultimately the riskiest thing at all. I like the way you put that the world would never get to meet you. No, you know, I think that's and you don't get to meet the world. I think that's that's one of the life's tragedies for young men is that they get stuck in whether it's a hometown or whether it's a hometown mentality of all sure. I'm ever going to have is whatever somebody else lays out for me. So I might as well just stick to my video games and my Netflix versus going out and seeing what I'm made of, you know, and I think that's such a danger to our young guys, man. 
It is. And, you know, the, the terminology has definitely changed over the last 20 years, yes, but sir. I was very thankful. I had a, a high school English teacher in our little town. So the way it works in Canada is the education system is extremely developed mm -hmm. um, because it's federal. Yep. It, it doesn't mean it's amazing, but it, it's very consistent. So what that means is if I'm in a little logging town in British Columbia, I'm going to have the same standards of education that right. the kids out in Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal, you know, other than maybe some language requirements with the bilingual stuff. We were very, what we call Queens, Canada. Most people were, didn't just speak two language. languages where I'm from. Yeah. I wish I did, but yeah. I, I admit I don't. Yeah. So, but with that being said, um, what ends up happening is you'll get a lot of university level, level professors that want to retire to a ski town. And lo and behold, you have these amazing English teachers in the middle of nowhere. And so that's what happened in our town because we were a ski town or it still is. And, and I had an English professor from UBC that became my ninth grade English teacher. And he referred to the, the syndrome that we had in our small towns as Peter Pan syndrome. That's right. And I think it still exists today, but yes, sir. even though that the term maybe change it, but he, he kept reiterating the fact that you can always go home. And then my dad would reiterate that as well. He goes, you can always come home. He goes, and you can come back and do whatever you want. But if you don't go away and at least see what's out there, you know, for a year, yes. for two years, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. And, and it's funny how that is when I look back on that, that was probably one of the most important pieces of information I ever got. And, you know, and, two countries and 10 states later, um, I, you know, I don't think I've lived anywhere where there wasn't amazing people and you miss them all. It doesn't mean that the people that you're with aren't amazing. You just don't get to interact with as many. That's right. You know? And you just don't get to let, you don't get to level up. It's that old fight club adage of, you know, how much do you ever know about yourself? If you've never been in a fight, right? If you never have had those experiences, Correct. you don't get to learn Again, it's both sides. You don't get to learn as much about yourself. You never fully will know yourself. And you don't get to see that universal language of humanity where it's like, man, there we got different right. cultures, but most people are pretty freaking cool. And most, you know, yep. there's good everywhere. There's bad everywhere. There's, um, you know, things that can be improved everywhere, but there's things that are beautiful everywhere. And you, do, you just don't, you can, you know, potentially get it intellectually you can look it up on the internet you can understand it intellectually but there's a difference between understanding something intellectually and then understanding it because you've experienced it and those are just vastly levels different levels you know i mean vastly no and that's exactly it it's um you know with all the the drive and the yes and the opportunity you know i would be I'd be foolish to deny the fact that I've also lost the ability to walk in my life and had to regain that. I've also been in a country where I was attacked by a suicide bomber or shot at by missiles. I've, I've also experienced all that stuff too. Um, and do I want to go through that stuff again? No, I don't want to spend a year in rehab. I don't want to do any of that stuff again. Um, I don't want to lose my Olympic birth in 2000 because when the Olympics were going on, I was still learning how to get my right leg to work again. Like I don't want to go through any of that ever again. And I, and I would never wish it on anyone. I would never wish being bombed by a terrorist group in Yemen. Like I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but I don't regret any of it. And there's a big difference there. Like 
the lessons I learned with the injuries I had when I had them and how I went from being ranked number one in the world to probably never doing sports again in two months. And I had all these shifts that occurred and I had to deal with the psychological, emotional, and physical fallout of all that stuff. All of that, that that as it occurred at the time, the mindset was always, let's just make each day the best day that I can have with the people that are with me. Because whenever you go through something that traumatic, say an injury or something, if you go through that with the same mindset of saying yes to opportunity and seeking and trying to achieve things, if you have that same energy when you get into one of those bad situations, the, it's amazing how the world, again, will put the right people into your lane with you. Now, if you want to be miserable and, and difficult to deal with, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of good people helping you. You'll get the bare minimum. But you know, it's funny how even all those negative experiences, when you throw the right mindset at it and you throw the right energy into it, I don't know how to explain it, but 99% of the time, the right people at the right time with the right situation will get you back on track. Yeah. And I, I really, you know, the, and again, I'm, you know, you and I are roughly the same age. And so, you know, we're, we're the first ones to tell these guys, like, we don't have it all figured out, man. Um, we just don't, we just have mm-hmm. more, more experiences to draw from. Um, right. But that's, you know, as, as I've gotten older, I've become more and more uh, aware of how much that mindset matters and how much, you know, anything I do in education for these young guys, it's all around my, your mindset is the educational piece. Like that's it. Everything else can happen in your, if your mindset's the right, um, you know, that right frequency, as esoteric as that sounds, I think you would, you also attract the right people. And part mm-hmm. of it's you are attracting them because they're attracted to the positivity. And part of it is yeah. you're just operating in a way that you're going to look for that too, even if it's subconsciously to find those people that are going to help and that you can help. And, you know, but that mindset matters over everything. 100%. Everything, man. Yeah. You, if you enter into the, to the situation with, some level of clarity in what you're trying to achieve. Listen, you can't guarantee success in sport. You can't guarantee success in a lot of things, but you dramatically change the odds against you. Yes, sir. Yep. That's absolutely it. So you've now had this experience where, I mean, you've coached all over the world. You've gotten to do so many amazing things in that realm. And if what, if I remember correctly, um, just based on the, the kind of the text conversation you and I had, you're going into law enforcement now too, taking on some. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was funny. It was something that I always considered. Um, you know, I know like with the way my career is at my age now to make a complete flip into something else isn't a hundred percent possible. So I started to look, you know, let me backtrack. If I had of talked to myself at 30 when I retired from sports, I probably would have immediately just gone into law enforcement at that point in my life. Um, you know, but, you know, at that time I wasn't even an American citizen. So there were so many different opportunities floating around, but now 45, I decided that there's only so many ways that I can give back to my community based on my time schedule, based on my lifestyle, based on my travel. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? And so about a year ago, I started to think about it. And 
coincidentally, when I moved out here to Montana, Montana has some different things in place. So they have what they have with the sheriff's department is like reserve sheriff's academy is a way in which you can become a sheriff at some level, you know, and it, depending on how much schooling you go through or how many hours of training you do is the level in which you get to operate as a sheriff in the state. Um, you know, a full sheriff's deputy obviously is the highest level at that point. And so one of the things I started to look at was the reserve sheriff's Academy. And it was a way in my mind that I could start to give back to my community based on the personality that I have. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a there's a million ways for community service and each each way in which you get involved is is really has to come down to your personality some people are really good at working at kitchens and doing that sort of work for my personality type and the way my mind works i I knew it wasn't probably where i'd be most beneficial and so i decided to join the reserve academy and basically at that point you get assigned when you're when you complete your education to a sheriff's department and then you work in and assist the sheriff's department under the basically supervision at my current level. Uh, you do ride-alongs, you write tickets, you do reports, you do all that stuff. And if you stay in it and you continue, then eventually you in the state of Montana and get a high-level sheriff's reservist, where in which you know you're operating at a duty level that is equivalent to a sheriff's deputy. Yeah. So that was what I decided to do. So it's, we're in the process now and it's, uh, it's more education. It's just more challenge. You know, I, I would have never, I would have never thought, you know, at 40 that I would be going back to school at 45 to be a sheriff's deputy, but here we are. That's where we are, dude. That's, I love that though. And I love that you said, based on my personality, based on the personality that I have, right. And it's that self-awareness um, too, that is a big, you know, that's, that's the other educational piece, um, you yeah. know, that I, I fully believe in, uh, the young people learning early, like the, the personal responsibility part, you know, you touched on that earlier too, of just kind of growing up in that. I, I believe that's a big part. I believe the self-confidence that you earn, earn, not, not are born with not you earn it Mm -hmm. through that fire aim ready mentality and you're trying things and you're getting those experiences and those experiences good or bad help actually give you wisdom versus bs you know faux knowledge right and you start to get self-confidence from that and i think the self-awareness too of figuring out introspectively look this is the personality i have this is the stuff that fires me up this is where my passion is this is where like, I don't think you ultimately get to a place where you've got full peace up there unless you're operating in that, you know, yeah. it's that like you've got to have, and nobody's going to be able to, to, you know, people will be able to help you coaches, mentors, guides can help you hone it, but you've got to freaking identify that, you know, especially yeah, as a young you, man. It's funny that you put it that way because, you know, especially when I'm on the lecture circuit or I'm giving presentations and this, this isn't just to developing coaches, you know, these, some of these presentations are, are, you know, NFL coaches and Olympic coaches. And it's what I always try to identify. And if there's one point that I, I really try to hammer home and I've been trying to do it for quite some time is one of the most valuable characteristics of successful people that I've been around that aren't just 
you know, superstars in their own right and kind of get away with it, you know, like, uh, you know, some musician or some actor that everyone just loves. So they don't have to do anything but be who they are. And for better or worse, that's the reality. I'm not talking about those people because those are 0.1%. But people that are actually successful over a long period of time and have to build success, I've never met one who didn't have incredible self-awareness of not only who or what they're good at, but how the world perceives them. Yes, sir. And I've met people along the way where their success started to get better exponentially when they started to understand how they were influencing positive and negative the people in the mm, room they were with. Completely. And those that seem to struggle, in my opinion, are those that, you know, maybe haven't taken the time to acknowledge characteristic traits that they have that they may need to work on. You know, um, the old idea that, you know, if you're in a room with 50 people and you're the one person that no one wants to talk to, it's not the 50 people, you it's, know, that's and right. it's a hard lesson. That's right. But sometimes you have to acknowledge that maybe you're doing or acting in a way that is not jiving. That's right. You know? And I think there's a positive and a negative too with that. It reminds me of a conversation I had with, um, and gentlemen, I'm going to have you guys start to put your hands up um, as you guys have some questions for Mr. Woodsky. Just go ahead and get those uh, up and I'm going to ca start calling on you guys here in a second. Um, but it reminds me of a conversation I went down to Mexico a few weeks ago um, with a, a group of guys, um, you know, Bedros and... Uh, uh, Ryan Mickler and Jack Donovan and Tanner Guzzi mm -hmm. and yep. um, John Lovell. And just, it was a group of good, some good dudes that I got to learn a whole lot from. And, um, you know, one of the things Bedros was talking about was kind of that self-awareness piece and, and that same kind of concept of like, shoot, okay, if everybody around here does not, isn't jiving with me, then it is me. It's not them. If that's the vast majority, okay, that's not it. Also, if everybody around here loves me, Am I being true to who I am or am I trying to play a game that is making everybody around here love me, even though they're all different? Because maybe I'm not being true to myself, right? So you got both sides of that. And if you're really, really being honest and you really have that self-awareness, you go, look, this is who I am. Hardcore, down to the bone. This is who I am. Here's the value that I'm going to bring to the table. Here's my Here's all the good things about me. Here's all the bad things about me. And understand that ultimately that's going to also really attract a group and it's going to inherently polarize a group. But as long as you have that understanding of who I am, then you can identify that, you know, and that's a power, that's such a powerful, powerful thing, you know? And it's funny that you describe it that way, because I can remember times where I've gone and lectured, where I've been with a, a significant group of people and and I had to pull myself back again, it comes back to self-awareness and, and ask that question because I noticed that I would get around these groups and so let, let's use an arbitrary number. Say there was 15 people and 12 really engaged. Everybody I was talking with, they were like, you could tell there was a good energy between us all, but I had a tendency to always worry about the three. Yeah. Right. Um, that just didn't jive with me. And I'd be like, and I, and I noticed that I would start to adjust my energy to try to get them to work with me, but it would start to ostracize the other 12. 
And then I had to step back and be like, okay, listen to your mind. Those three aren't your people for whatever reason. That's right. They're, they don't dislike you or like you. They're just not, maybe there's just something off. Doesn't matter. Stay true to yourself. And if the other 12 people are attracted to who you are, there's very little you can do about those three. That's exactly it, man. That's exactly it. I was, um, you know, I, I did probably four, probably 400 keynotes over the last seven, eight years for companies all over the world. And, um, one of the guys that, that really brought me into that business that is, uh, in the, you know, national speaker hall of fame. And he's just, he's a legendary, uh, speaker from the stage. And, and, you know, he said, there's always going to be a certain percentage of people. It doesn't matter if there's 10 people in the room, or if you've got 10,000 people in the audience, there's going to be a really small percentage that have no desire to listen to anything you have to say. And they, maybe they don't like you. Maybe they just have bad stuff going on in their own life. And they're just not going to worry about it anyways. Maybe, you know, who cares? There's always going to be that percentage. So don't worry about it. There's also going to be a percentage. Again, it's that balance thing. There's gonna be a percentage up here that all of a sudden go, Oh my God, you are the greatest thing walking. He's like, you can't really listen to them either. You know, you got that big chunk there in the middle. And if you can win most of them and provide value to most of them, then you're probably doing a really good job. You know, you're hundred percent right. And it's like, so uh, true, dude. It's so true. A very quick story before the uh, questions. So, uh, a coach of mine who just previously passed on, he had an amazing quote and he would say, when it came to athletics, he would say, you are not your best day and you are not your worst day. Your success is the byproduct of your average. He would say that over and over. He said, most Olympic champions win the Olympics with their best average performance. So good. Gosh, I love that. I love that. That goes for just so, I mean, that just... That carries in with the beauty, you know, some of the beautiful things about sports is you can use those analogies and that carries over to so much in life, man. Um, yep. You know, it just does. God, I love that. Okay. Uh, Kaleo, I got a hand up right there, sir. You are up. All righty. So, sir, my question for you was, who is your greatest hero? And I want to hear why and what lessons he or she taught you. So for me, right from the beginning, I was fortunate to have two. My, I'm fortunate that my hero for a lot of reasons was my father. So my father was and is the forever provider for lack of a better description. Um, very hardworking, very, uh, very well read blue collar man. Um, so you could have a conversation about anything But at the end of the day, you know, my dad made his living in the logging industry, which was an industry that was labor intensive, even as a supervisor. And the gentlemen that he tended to work with in the 80s and 90s were hard, hard people. Um, And what I learned from him in that regard is that everything that he did from that generation was, and this, this is going to sound like a knock, but you have to understand it's not. Everything that he did from that generation was an attempt to ensure that we did not repeat in his footsteps. And it wasn't because he, um, it wasn't because he didn't respect the industry he was in. He just wanted us to be more than the town we were from and wanted us greater opportunity than he had had. Um, and so because of that, I, I can't deny the, the magnitude of influence that my father had on me. 
Um, I'm thankful that it was my father. I've had amazing mentors since, since that day. But I, I, when I look back as a man, the level of sacrifice that he was willing to make to ensure that his sons had huge opportunity, I don't, I don't know how I could compare anything else to that, you know, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, really good. And I love the, it's that, that opportunity that they want for us, right? And it, it's, it's the understanding. It's not that if you had chosen to go in the same field and same route, but you had chosen it because uh, you had an awareness of all of that, you know, all that yeah. was out there, that's a different choice than it's like, you know, if you can choose, okay, what's your favorite food? You're only ever going to have kale or you're going to have steak. What's your favorite? Like, yeah. that's great. And steak is fantastic. And maybe that's your thing. But once you understand that there's also lobster and there's sushi and there's freaking broccoli and there's chicken and there's like, then it becomes an actual choice based on, okay, no, I th I've experienced so much. Here's where I want to go. You know, it's that yep. same kind of deal. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, life man. becomes opportunity and not sacrifice. Yes, sir. And Cleo, I like that you said, I know that, I know that about you and your dad too. You said, you know, your dad's dad's your hero too. And you've got a, um, you definitely have a solid one, man. So, you know, I love that. Um, and it's interesting too. And, and I'm going to call on these next couple guys, uh, but talking about heroes and you mentioned comic books earlier and, and some of the old school magazines and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's always interesting. We've got some mutual friends and guys that are, um, you know, that are coaches and athletes. And of course, Valenti, um, you know, mm -hmm. introduced us. And then, you know, I'm sure you're from Zach Evanash is a, is a good friend and, yeah. uh, Tony Blauer, you know, some of these guys that are just, right. just yeah. amazing coaches, right? We t we've t I've had conversations with all these guys about the heroes that we grew up with too, whether they were a comic book or they were the magazines that were, you know, we had Arnold and and you got their movie stars that were like Arnold and uh, and Sly and you know even yep. Van Dam and and some of these dudes were they were all just jacked, right? And now it's a it's a different it's a different thing culturally too. You don't see that as much because people are afraid that that's toxic and and you know which we know is provable BS, but those ideals um, aren't right. a bad, aren't a bad thing. They can be a motivating thing. No, I mean, the first 20 inch bicep I ever saw belonged to uh, a logger, right? Yeah. A guy that, yeah. you know, wore flannel, long black hair and jeans, hard looking guy. Like, yeah. I mean, looked like a biker, yeah. lived in the woods, cutting trees down with a saw. And his forearms, when I was a kid, were like my father's. My father was a big <laughs> yeah. man. They're yeah. Size of my head. Yeah. And, but the one thing is, intrinsically, I would see that as a kid. And you were like, well, you felt two things. You either were afraid and knew to give them a wide berth, which is smart because sure. it's a survival instinct if they're not a good human, or you that's who you wanted to be standing behind when the when the wave came at you because they're dependable those guys are know? usually one and the same man you know yeah almost always are so good yeah. all right turner you're up sir thank you sir for being on here it's just thank you so my question for you today is i live in montana as well but i was wondering where nice. you live all right so live up here in kalispell uh yep. so yep so uh, we live by the hospital about 30 minutes from Whitefish Mountain. So we didn't, uh, I grew up north of here about two and a half hours. I was born in Cranbrook right on the uh, U.S. line, basically. But we looked at Whitefish years ago 
probably should have bought before it exploded, um, which is always funny. Uh, but we decided on Kalispell, to be honest, because we didn't want to be locked into another uh, resort town. We, we wanted to live close enough to enjoy the things that we do. My fiance is a ski coach, so she's at work right now, for example. But we didn't want to be trapped where mm-hmm. the energy has a tendency to overtake it. We wanted to live in a normal town. You know, so yeah, we're up here in Kalispell, just south of uh, all the new strip malls, which I would have never thought would be here in Montana, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live in Big Fork, like down. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I tried going to the mountain today, and uh, there was probably six hundred cars, so I couldn't get there. I got photos on the way, Um, so she had to leave early to get to the mountain for work, and the traffic until you got to Whitefish was unbearable. And then after that, it kind of spaced out a bit, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a hard thing that we always deal with. You know, I've lived in a lot of places. I've lived places that no one's moving, you know, I've lived places where no one, everyone is leaving, I should say. Um, you know, Cleveland was a hard city to live in, you know, it was, you know, lots of snow, lots of cold, not a lot going on, but I was there for, for work and for the NFL at the time and, and all those good things. But when I think back, it's, uh, you know, I understand why people are moving to places like Montana. Um, aside from, you know, the idea of a Yellowstone lifestyle, it's, uh, I, I just think there, there's enough people now that they're starting to realize they want to be able to recognize the same faces at the same restaurant at the same grocery store. I think there is a level of change to, even though the media wants to tell us something different, there are a lot of people. And it was this way in California when I lived there. There are a lot of people that just want to be a part of a smaller, more close-knit community. Will they find it? I don't know. But you can see the energy is definitely changing. Yeah. No, I love it, man. Um, yeah, man, I, I think, I think you're absolutely, it's interesting. Cause I, you know, obviously we're here in California and in Northern California, yeah. I grew up in the, I grew up in the Bay area, which is a whole nother freaking world in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're in this little ranch town. I got a little ranch out here with horses and chickens and the whole, like we're in this little right. ranch area, man. And that's what everybody wants. Like that's what people want. That's what people want around here. We want to, to have those people value community, man. People want that. And, and I think even in, even in places like California, you see a large constituency of people that really want to get back to that, um, yeah. the small town feel, but also the personal responsibility and the self-reliance. And, um, you know, that's been one of the things that I, I feel like there's been a little bit of an awareness now that the wool has been pulled over our eyes where we've been tricked, um, culturally speaking, we've been tricked to not be self-reliant anymore, that there's always going to be, you know, a grocery store to go to or this. And so, you know, we've forgotten to, to learn how to survive and actually do things that old Hank Williams song, man, country boy can survive. Like, I I don't want to be dependent upon anybody for anything, Mm -hmm. period, period. Right. Like that's it. It's everyone's purpose should be, how do I become a provider for those that are in my life, yep. not a consumer? Yes, like sir. that should always be your driving mentality. Big time. And, and if that makes you a hundred million dollars a year, like Elon Musk, then so be it. But your still mentality is provide, 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 provide. How do I make something better? Right. It's uh, that's right. You know, and there's a, a false narrative that if you're an ultimate provider, then there's something wrong with you. 
And it's like, no, that it's your whole goal, regardless of financial incentive, is to give more to the world than you take. Bingo. Even if it makes you money. Bingo. That's right. If you're the ultimate consumer, that's where you're going to run into these issues up here because we're not designed to just take, 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 take. We're designed to build. We're designed to make. We're designed to provide. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You you know, I have no problem with someone cutting a tree down on their property, just plant two in its place. That's how we were designed to make the place better. That's That's how I was raised in a logging town. Yes, sir. Cut down one, plant two. Yes, sir. The world is better a hundred years from now. That's exactly it. I love it. Okay. Parker, go for it, sir. My question is, what would you define maturity as? Hmm. So uh, for me, maturity has always been a byproduct of understanding the value of responsibility. Um, I felt that maturity in my own life developed as I started to become more selfless with my time, as well as more available to others. Uh, You know, when I was a full-time athlete, especially when I was trying to get to certain levels of success, um, I was extremely selfish and and I fully admit that. And I, I was never a selfish guy in the sense that I was like mean or any of those things, but I always had to prioritize my day and then allow myself to be available to other people. And it, it can be very difficult for people that are in your life when you're doing that, because sometimes you have no choice, but to be extremely self-focused to be successful, uh, especially in something like athletics um, and business, et cetera, is not that much different. You have to really prioritize yourself. And what I found is my level of maturity improved or became more developed when I could start to balance the priorities of others as well as the priorities of myself. So I, I like to me, I felt maturity was more of a state of mind than a physical existence. Mm. Um, I didn't, you know, being 20 didn't feel any more mature than 15 and being 30 didn't feel more mature than 20 physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing like that. It was more of a state of mind. Like when I learned yep. to take responsibility for others as well as myself, that to me felt like the development of maturity as a man. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that answer. Good question, Parker. Um, what did I read the other day? I read somebody said something to the effect of, you know, you you may meet a 16-year-old man and you may meet a 40-year-old boy. And for sure, you will definitely need to, you know, respond to both of those differently and accordingly. You know, and yep. that's that's it. You know, the first book these guys are are tasked with reading is called Do Hard Things. And it talks about the fact that uh, being, you know, teen, the term teenager wasn't around until the forties before that it was just, you're expected to have responsibility and you're a man, you right. know, it's like, there you go. Yeah. And, and culturally we still had so many of those things, you know, in multiple cultures around the world where the manhood was this process and, and there were good men that were bringing these guys through the agogi and, you know, through all these different, um, portions. And we've kind of lost that. And that's, you know, that's what I, if nothing else, I want these guys to always take away from this program the fact that you get to choose when, you know, manhood to a certain extent is bestowed upon you. Some of that is a choice of when you choose to take on those responsibilities. Yeah. You choose to be that guy. And if you will do that in a world that is seeing less and less and less men do that overall period, um, again, it goes back to those opportunities, man. They just, the doors fly open because the world just doesn't see many of you anymore. 
No. Yeah. I remember it, it was funny at the time, but I remember running into a, what I thought was a kid. He was like 13 years old, Yeah. but I remember I ran into this kid in Saudi Arabia, managing a group of laborers, smoking a cigarette, driving a pickup truck. Yep. And yep. I'm like, yep. And everything I like went visually when I was looking at him and dealing with him, I'm like, this is a child. But then I'm like, why is he managing all these laborers yeah. and driving a pickup and smoking a cigarette? Because there was no concept right. of age. That's right. It was, he was responsible. They were not. That Bingo. was a period. Bingo. And that was a, kind of strange to see, Gosh, period, especially. <laughs> yeah. oh, but that's a perfect example. You got that. And then you got the, you know, Will Ferrell and stepbrothers, you know, is this 40 year old guy living at home. 100%. And mom, right. And it's, it was so flipping true, man. No worries, Malachi, yeah. on turning the camera off. If that helps, go for it. You're up, sir. Thank you, sir, for being here. So you mentioned earlier that you like comic books. So I also really like comic books and that you grew up with that. So I was wondering who is your favorite hero and why? Love it. So this would probably go back to the third grade. Uh, I used to photo. So this is before the yeah. computer magic. I used to photocopy my, photocopy my comic books and then color them in, right? So for me, probably third, fourth grade, I can clearly remember in art class, I was obsessed with Wolverine. Um, you know, there was a couple that came in later, but Wolverine was always my favorite first one. Um, he's probably the character I have the most of. I, I, it wasn't that he was violent or had the claws or anything like that. I think he just represented just such a strong image for me in terms of like a take no guff mentality. Like, you know, there, he was so hardened, um, you know, and then as I got older, I got into a, a lot more characters, <clears throat> you know, obviously uh, I started to gravitate towards characters like Juggernaut and some of these others that I thought were cool from the, the DC universe. Um, you know, I was an early Superman fan, but I really kind of fell in love with Superman as a character again when they re-released Henry's character a few years ago in the remake. And, and this is going to sound weird because I'm Canadian, but the Americana imagery of Superman in the movies that they never let go of the, you know, the slow waving flags, the strength of the imagery of, of Superman himself, what he represents, the idea that they haven't let go of hope, the Kevin Costner's character as his father, you know, waving him off as he sacrifices himself to maintain the secret of a son that can't be killed, you know? So like he was willing to die for the person that cannot like, the imagery of everything that they did with that, and if they could just hold on to it, which I know they haven't, they let go of it this year. Um, it, it, that to me is everything that comic books used to be. Um, and when they, when they did that with those characters, it was like, I love all the dark. I love Deadpool. I love the dark characters. I, you know, I love Dark Knight's character from a few years ago with Batman. I like all that cool stuff. But the incredibly powerful unifying imagery when they do it right of a character like Superman in the Americana imagery of Kansas and the farmhouses and the hard work and the hands in the dirt that I think if we lose that to me, comic books will have, uh, it's going to be difficult to get it back. 
you know, so Wolverine was my first, but I love what has happened with some of the other developmental aspects. Um, I, I hope we don't lose that because to me, that is, you know, for lack of a better word, that is why I moved to America in the first place. Like it truly, for those of us that are not from here and chose America as our home, and it isn't our birthright, regardless of our family being here at some point before, um, it's hard for us sometimes. I know it is for me to see that, that blood of American culture dissipating. You know, yeah. So I say, freedom is my favorite F word. Yeah, I really yeah. appreciate that answer because I know, like, you know, some people just kind of pick up a book for entertainment. But I thought right. it was kind of cool how you were talking about that. That um, was a big part of growing up. And also, I have one more. Is that okay? Yeah, for sure, giver. So, completely switching gears. You talked about coaching for, um, like. Hey, Malachi, you're cutting out on it again. Um, if the chat works, maybe throw that, uh, maybe throw it down in there because it's cutting out. Man. Right. I see a chat one opening up here. Yeah, might want to, might want to throw it down, throw it down in there and we'll make sure, uh, make sure that we yep. put it, that we get it out there, man. So, cause you keep, it keeps cutting a little bit. Um, yeah, we, uh, again, going back to some of those guys, some of those coach buddies that we have, um, you know, in, in common, Oh, favorite coaching job. Okay. Good question, man. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's those, those ideals. You know, when we talked about those guys, it's those ideals and it wasn't just the masculinity and these dudes with the big muscles, but it was a lot of those guys, you know, the movies around them or the concept around them. It was that hardworking ideal that, um, you know, my friend Jack Donovan talks about being, uh, a good man, but being good at being a man, you know, and having both of those right. and those are two separate things. It was those kind of things that had that appeal. So yeah. All right. Favorite coaching yeah. job. You know, like initially you would think I would say the NFL or, or working in the N division one NCAAs, um, you know, probably. So those were amazing because you get to work with such elite athletes. Um, I would say the most enjoyable, oddly enough, life experience coaching gig was working with the country singer, Zach Brown. It was because it was so different than traditional coaching. It was, you know, more health, wellness, getting them injury free because he's actually quite an avid outdoorsman. Yeah. Um, you know, so he, his routine was extremely challenging, hmm. you know, so I traveled with him, you know, did the whole tour bus thing and, you know, go to sleep in Mississippi, wake up in Florida type of deal and do another show and just all the energy that goes with it. But that was probably my most enjoyable um, because it was a almost impossible to, to try to have a perfect schedule. So the, the challenge of it was relentless. Um, the, the, the people watching social side to be able to see behind the curtain of something so huge was absolutely as overwhelming initially as working in the NFL. Yeah. You don't realize how big and how fast and how complex either of those two industries are, how many people it takes to, to make something work, how much logistical cohesion is needed. Um, just to get through two hours so that, you know, the 20,000 people in the crowd or the 40,000 at the baseball stadium in Boston all have the best experience they've ever had. 
right? Like the amount of work and hard work that goes into making people feel good. It was really rewarding. Um, I enjoyed it. I oddly enough, out of all the coaching gigs I've had, I really enjoyed working for Zach. Um, that was a, that was good. That was, that one was fun. I like that one a lot. That's awesome, man. That's real. That is cool. And dude, so much work goes into those kind of things. Um, and Phil, do you, are you familiar with, uh, Phil Daru? Phil, uh, he's a, uh, he's a trainer out in Florida area. And so he kind of rose up through the American top team, mixed martial arts guys training Dustin yes. Poirier and all those guys. Yes. Um, so he still trains all these fighters, you know, Dustin included. Um, but he had a similar kind of, uh, kind of response too, cause he came on here and talked to these guys a while back close to a year ago. And, and he was saying, cause he does, uh, he works with Timbaland, um, the, you know, the music producer and stuff. And he said, same, yep. same kind of thing. Like it was the, oddly the most rewarding and most challenging. You got these world-class athletes, but he's going, no, that's that. That was actually the most challenging sort of deal. It, it is. It's, uh, athletes will athlete, right? So yeah. they're going to prioritize yep. what yep. It, yep. they that's need right. to, right. To be successful. So getting them there twice a day, if you needed not particularly tough because everything involves around them being at the training. Right. Um, but when training doesn't have a direct correlation yeah. to success, you have to, you have to get the buy-in. Yeah. You have to make them really buy in because if they miss a session, yep. it doesn't change whether or not they play the guitar that night. It really doesn't. So you have to, you have to tap into the psychology and you have to, do a lot of the other coaching basics that, you know, with athletes, sometimes you don't have to do like, it's just the truth, you know, uh, especially college. If they don't show up, they're in trouble. That's right. It's not on them. That's right. <laughs> right? That's so right. They're going to be there. No know? doubt. Man. <laughs> well, dude, super grateful for you taking the time to come on here. What is, um, how can we support you? What is the best way to, to go to support you? If it's, you know, website, social, if it's a cause, if it's a, um, what, what can we do? What's the best way to support Derek? You know, for me, um, I do use social media in the sense that, uh, I like to write on it. You know, the, the thing I tell people now is, for years, I was really prolific in writing microblogs on Instagram, but because of the way the world moves and how fast it is, no one ever goes back and reads the old stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I've taken it now and transferred it into uh, a written form, like a word, word, so I can eventually get it turned into something people can read all at once. But honestly, all I ask is that people actually take the time to go back a year, two years, five years, when I would be riding through the middle of the, the desert in Saudi Arabia, two hours a day, every day writing. And I would put it on social media right. because there's not that I'm the greatest writer in the world, but there's some gems that people have forgotten. Yeah. So, you know, read the stuff that was written a long time ago, because some of it may be relative to what you're dealing with now. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Dude, so grateful for you. Really glad that um, I'm thankful to Mark that he connected us. And I'm just, I'm thankful for for you and good men doing good things out there, man. It's, uh, it is definitely a, an honor and a pleasure. It really is. And anything um, else we can do. Extremely support. thankful to be a part of this today. Big time. Guys, let's give a, a big thanks to Mr. Woodski. Beautiful. 
Awesome, brother. Um, I'm going to bring them through some more things and, and uh, I'll reach out to you this weekend. And, and I got something I want to send you as well, man, just as a, as a small thank you for spending the time today, man. Super appreciative. That means a lot. Thanks everyone for uh, taking the time to sit and chat. It's awesome, brother. Thank you, sir. There you go, man. Give that guy a follow at Derek Woodski on IG. That's W-O-O-D-S-K-E. Uh, check out ecobolic.com and uh, do yourself a favor and uh, go back. You know, his request is go back and read some of the old things, some of the old posts, some of the wisdom that comes out of that. Um, do yourself a favor uh, and get after it. So appreciate you all listening and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on The Essential 11. See ya.